It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, this is Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music, and I, w- and I welcome you to this very special episode of the Opera Diva series. As you know, we have profiled several opera singers on this series, including Christine Brewer, Nicole Cabell, Angela M. Brown, and many others. Today we have a very special guest with us, and generally I would start out by giving you a long uh, drawn out uh, overview of the person's accomplishments, but today I'm going to let this person just start off immediately and speak uh, directly to you. And the person that we have with us today is internationally acclaimed opera singer, soprano Marquita Lister. Good afternoon, Marquita. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Oh, well, I'm so glad that you're here with us today on the Opera Diva series. Well, thank you for inviting me. Now, let's just get right to it. Now, Marquita, you have a very powerful story that I think that everyone, whether they're in opera or whether they're in sports, whatever their vocation or area may be, I think that your story really would speak to everybody for such a time as this. Now, let's let's go back. You were at the top of your game singing in some of the world's greatest opera houses and concert halls in very fine form. What happened next? Well, you know, Patrick, it's one of those things that you can never anticipate, and that is that little did I know I was becoming very ill. Um, In June, July of 2006, I was in Dresden, Germany, performing Aida. When I completed the run, I noticed that my hands were swollen. I didn't think much of it until I started to become more fatigued than usual. My mother's birthday is in July, and I took my planned flight back to my home here in Washington, D.C. to prepare for her birthday party. Just days after her party, I exhibited flu-like symptoms. You know, I went to my primary care physician who diagnosed my fatigue and nausea as just that, the flu. I was prescribed antibiotics and sent home. The antibiotics did nothing, and my condition just got worse and worse. My primary care physician scheduled an immediate appointment with a rheumatologist. He diagnosed my illness as being walking pneumonia. This doctor prescribed stronger antibiotics and sent me home. Within a week, I had spiking fevers, constant nausea, vomiting, breathlessness, and I had lost most of my mobility. My mother was fearful because my health was declining so quickly. I was hospital for an extended period of time. I certainly did not have the flu or walking pneumonia, yet none of the specialists could give a definitive diagnosis. My primary care physician, Dr. James Oliver, tirelessly searched for an answer. My health had deteriorated to an alarming state. You know, the fluid retention and the medication 
shot my weight up to almost 300 pounds. I couldn't walk at all. I could barely lift my arms, and my lungs were compromised. I was on six to eight liters of oxygen, and it was just the beginning of a nightmare. After a month of questionable results, Dr. Oliver had the wisdom of having my having me transferred to the National Rehabilitation Hospital here in Washington, D.C. There I met my rheumatologist, Robert Bunning. He accurately diagnosed my illness as polymyositis with mixed connective tissue disorder. He quickly assembled a team of specialists to aid him in arresting this very complex autoimmune disorder. Little did I know that, you know, it was the beginning of a five-and-a-half-year challenging journey, and it would demand every bit of faith and courage that I had deep down inside of me. The doctors realized that this was an ordinary case. I suddenly developed further and more puzzling complications, slipping into multiple organ failure due to a combination of conditions that are so rare that only a handful have been documented in medical literature. To put it simply, I was dying. Um, my doctors know that my vocal cords are a vital part of my career. You know, I sing with them. I'm a singer. And thus decided not to intubate me, but instead chose the most innovative of treatments. I'm grateful for that. Needless to say, once strong again, I had to relearn how to walk. Um, I had to work on my upper body and arm strength, my dexterity in my fingers, and I had to relearn, most importantly, how to sing. The lower portion of my lungs were closed. Taking deep breaths was extremely difficult and painful. I was in a wheelchair, so there was no real sense of support, so to speak. The fundamentals of singing, as we know, are support, breath, articulation, communication, and confidence. I didn't have any of these. At that, at, It was just gone. I was massively overweight, fatigued, recovering from a near-death experience, and being weaned off of oxygen support. I was, it was mind-boggling and very, very scary. Um, my accompanist coach and dear friend, Marvin Mills, who you may know, helped me to rebuild my voice note by note. It was a frustrating, tedious, and arduous process. I also have very close friends who are very polished professional singers as well as professors, and they were also devoted to helping me to return to the stage. First and foremost, though, I had to get my confidence back. So here we are. Oh, my goodness. What a remarkable story. And even though um, this is, this was on my list of questions, but it brings me to a, a, a point that you've gone through this, this uh, difficult ordeal, and I had no idea. And so that just speaks to the fact that your career, your name was still out before the public, but oh, my goodness, I had no idea. Many people probably had no idea that you were going through such a, a, a hardship, and you came out on top victorious, so congratulations to you. Oh, thank you very much. You know, I have to say it was a little bit of trial by fire because initially I think I tried to perform before I was really ready. 
So when I walked out on the stage, it was an exhausting, terrifying experience for me. My colleagues were wonderful. They were very supportive. The director was very supportive. They knew what I had been through. And truthfully, I just felt a little bit shell-shocked. I really did because I didn't have the full strength physically back yet. I didn't have the full power of my voice back yet, and I was singing Aida. So after I got through those performances, I decided, and my doctors also decided, that I needed to really slowly get back into performing. So over the past five and a half years, I've only been doing, oh, I guess maybe two productions a year. You know, I think this year is the first year that I've done a little bit more than that, only because I just did not want to get out there and and have it not be my best. So it's it's mm-hmm. been a really really interesting and wonderful experience. You know, I I appreciate the general managers who stood behind me and supported me in that they wanted me to get back out there. They wanted me to know that because I had been through this experience, it didn't mean that my career was over. Because I think every singer or even a person who's an athlete or anyone who has had any kind of an injury or has had something that has uh, compromised the level in which they once performed is afraid they're going to get out there and bomb. I mean, let's just be very honest about it. And there are people out there who will say, well, you know, if you're not ready, then don't do it. You know, I'm paid money for my ticket. I want you to sing the best that you possibly can. But I have found that my experience has been nothing but positive. It's been fantastic. I could not have Mm -hmm. asked for more of a support team than what I have had, not just with my family and my friends, but also in the musical community. That is magnificent. Now, speaking of victorious, that leads me to my next point. Just last week, you were recently honored uh, with the Victory Award. Tell us about that experience. Oh, you know, I have to tell you that receiving National Rehabilitation Hospital's Victory Award is one of the greatest moments in my life. You know, I've been in an Emmy-nominated production, received awards for performances, as well as accolades for the performances, performance, excuse me, for the recordings that I have been blessed to have been a part of. But the Victory Award is so very special. It is a celebration of the human spirit. It is given to those individuals who exemplify exceptional strength and courage in the face of adversity. And I just think that that's incredible. And I feel so honored to have been one of the people that they singled out to give this award to. Now, who are some of the the special performers who performed at the event? Oh, well, they had Yolanda Adams, who I absolutely adore. She's a gospel singer. And they had um, Mr. O'Connor there, who is a violinist, who actually just made a recording with Yo-Yo Ma. And J.R. Mm-hmm. Martinez, who we all know just won Dancing with the Stars, um, oh, wow. was the host. Yes, he was the host. And I have to tell you, I was really so tickled pink to meet him because I had watched Dancing with the Stars and I had voted for him. And I had hoped mm-hmm. that he would be as lovely as he seemed to be on television, and he was. Very kind, very generous, you know as were the other people, Mr. Gilly, who we know is a very, very famous um, 
country music, country music legend, actually, you know, Mickey Gelly. Mm-hmm. When we think about um, Mr. Eckenhoff, who actually founded the hospital, you know, he was there and being honored. Um, I'm sorry, you caught me off off guard there with this, these questions because I'm still <laughs> reeling from it. But oh, I'm sorry. Oh <laughs> you know, and so, okay. so it was just it was just really a a really just very special occasion for me, and to be in the company of these people really just meant so much as well. That is so fascinating. I'm so glad you had that experience. Now let's move forward and talk about. The, the inspiration behind your singing. What inspired you to pursue a career in singing? Well, actually, what it was is when I was six years old, my mother had the Texaco live broadcast on the radio, and Leontine Price was performing. And I remember her voice really captured my attention. And I just thought to myself, what is that and who is that? And I remember going to my mother, and I said, Mom, who's that lady? And my mother said, oh, she's a very famous opera singer. Do you like what you're hearing? And I said, yeah, I can do that. And, of course, like any parent would say, of course you can do that, darling, without her really realizing that I really meant that I could do that and went about the business of pursuing music from that moment forward. That is wonderful. I I must just take a moment to reflect on everything you've said, and in case there's somebody listening who might have had some kind of hardship or or setback, you know, Marquita, this is a prime example. Don't give up because your breakthrough is right around the corner. So I hope that you're listening to this. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is that, yes, the fact of the matter is that there is life after illness. You know, so much of the time we think that when we become ill or we become injured that it's the end. I don't think so because if you allow illness to teach you, it teaches you a lot about yourself. It's a real journey of self-awareness. It's a real journey to test and challenge your fortitude, your inner courage, because it's very hard to relearn how to do the things that come so naturally to us, like walking, tying your shoe, lifting a glass, you know, brushing your hair. These are all things that I could not do. And because I could not do these things, it was like, why can't I do this? this you're kidding me, right? I mean, I was in the best shape of my life when I became ill. And I thought, I did all the right things, you know. I don't go on drinking binges. I don't stay up all night long. I eat properly. I exercise. I have XYZ amount of body fat. You know, I went through this whole thing, and I got sick anyway. And so I couldn't kick myself for not taking care of myself. It's just something that happened. And you have to get it in your mind that it's not your fault. You did not do anything to make this happen. It just happened. Now, the challenge for you is to have it not hold you back so that you can't get better. You know, I couldn't sing. I had to rebuild my voice note by note. And that was a very scary process after 15, 20 years of singing. But you know what the amazing thing about all this is that that you are blessed that you have you have been generous in spirit with your colleagues and other people and your family and friends, and by right you had a support system uh, 
to to be in place for such a time um, as this. And so I encourage, this is another point that, you know, even though we might have beautiful voices and beautiful talents, we have to be beautiful people. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and and so that and because this is a prime example of how you're so generous and 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 wonderful that even though this circumstance happened, you know, you it all of this came back to you in in a blessing, and and I'm just so happy. I really am. Oh, thank you. But I think the main thing that we have to understand, particularly as performers, is that your gift does not define you. It's a mm. gift. It does not define you. If you're a singer, okay, your job is to sing. And we happen to be blessed with a gift that we can give back to the world. But if you no longer have that gift, it doesn't make you any less of a person. Not at all. The people who loved you when you were singing will love you if you aren't singing. (laughs) And And that's the wonderful thing that illness does teach you is that, The gifts we have are just that, they're gifts. And if we treasure our gifts, somewhere along the road, someone will remember you giving that gift. And if God willing, you will be able to re-give your gift again. But if God has a different direction for you to go in, we have to embrace that as well and understand it is but yet another chapter of our life. So during the five and a half years, that, you know, polymyositis and I have been battling back and forth, you know, it's opened other doors in a strange way for me. You know, it's allowed me to get into philanthropy, which is something that I love. I love going out and raising money for the the, the new set of divas, so to speak, the mm-hmm. high school kids who dream the dreams that I dreamed when I was 16 and 17 years old. The kids that need to take voice lessons, that need to go on auditions, that that need a new dress, that need a this, that need a that. Well, you know, I think that to whom much is given, much is required. And I've been given a great deal in my life. So I feel it's my turn to try to help somebody else to realize their dream as well. And in return, I get a beautiful gift because I get to watch that little bud grow into a beautiful flower. And that, for me, is like passing it on. It's paying it forward. And I also believe that in return, because I have that philosophy, I have been allowed to return to the stage. I have been allowed to perform. I have been able to re-give my gift. But now when I sing, it's not just about the music itself. It's not about how accurate the notes are. It's not just about the character I'm portraying. It's about how grateful I am that I can do these things. And I think many times when you have a big, illustrious career, you forget about that. You're going from role to role, from town to town, from city to city, from plane to train to whatever, hotel to hotel, and you forget about the little small things. And those little small things is it's a job and we have a gift. And it's no longer a gift if you don't give it back. And some kind of way you have to do that. You have to give it back. That's a perfect lead in into uh, you just spoke of your 
Murphy, and that ties perfectly into your interest. Tell me about your work with the Negro Spiritual Foundation. Oh, the Negro Spiritual Scholarship Foundation. I got involved with them in the year of 2000 when I met my wonderfully treasured friend, Father Rudolph Clear. And it is an organization that is actually twofold. One, of course, is to raise money so that African-American high school kids can go to college. And number two is to preserve the spiritual and how it is a national treasure and how important it is to the fabric of our country, just like folk song is. And I really, really understood the importance of that. And that's when I told Rudy that I would do everything I could to help. And he asked me if I would be the national spokesperson. And I said, of course I would. I'll do everything that I can to help. And ever since then, we've been friends and and partners in terms of trying to have the organization grow. And in the meantime, I met Roland Carter when he invited me to come to a NAM conference that was being held in Nashville. And it was his last year as president. And I had never been to a NAM conference. And NAM stands for the National Association of Negro Musicians. And I was so awestruck by how wonderful it was because it was an organization that also gave platform to every type of African-American classical performer, whether they are an instrumentalist, whether they were a vocalist, whether they were a composer. There was a place there for you where you could be seen and you could talk and you could network and you could share your stories. And I found it a very uplifting experience. So when Rolla Carter retired as president and David Morrow came in as president, I said, you know, I would really like to help with your scholarship and education programs. And so that's when I came up with the idea of giving fundraising concerts every two years where I would call up some of my friends and ask them if they would come, perform for free, pay for their own housing, pay for their own food. It was going to be a complete charitable um, donation, so to speak, in the sense that every dime we make from ticket sales goes directly to the organization. We don't get paid anything. Wow. And, And the thing about it is every person who came agreed to that. So as a result, you were at the last conference, Patrick, where yeah. you know where we had what I consider some of the best singers in the African American community: Donnie Ray Albert came, Mark Ruckert, Daryl Taylor. I mean, the list goes. That Joseph Hubert came and played. I Marietta mean, just Simpson. and Mary Simpson. That's what I mean. The list goes on and on. Louise Toppin, oh, and they all came gladly and smiling and prepared, and just so prepared as if we were singing in Carnegie Hall. And it just, it was so exciting for me. It just really was. I just felt like, wow, this is truly giving back. Again, these are people who share my same philosophy, that you have to pay it forward. They've been given illustrious careers. They've done wonderful things. Now let's help some other kids get where we have been and show them that it is possible. Yeah. Wonderful. Let's circle back for a moment. You know, I had asked the question um, in the beginning about your inspiration um, 
to pursue a, a career in singing. And one thing that stuck out is that you mentioned one of the names that so many people mentioned who was dear to my heart, and I know so many people, Leotine Price. Oh, yeah. And that's a perfect segue into uh, musical influence. You talked about um, your your mother and, and mm-hmm. Leotine Price. Let's move a little bit forward to the memorable performances. Tell me about a memorable performance that you have fresh in your mind. Well, I mean, I have to tell you, each performance for me is memorable because there's always mm-hmm. something that makes it stick in your mind, whether it was a snafu with a dress or, you know, a, a, a dresser that wasn't quite up to par or wonderful colleagues or whatever. There's always something that makes it so that you remember it. But I have you know, some that stick out in my mind in other ways because I learned so much from my colleagues. And I think one of the productions was the Bregan's Festival production of Porgy and Bess, the Zeffirelli productions of Pagliacci that I did with Leonucci and the Boehm um, that I did at the Arena di Verona, the Macbeth production that I did the Semper Opera in Dresden with Maestro Gatti, um, the Tosca production that I did with Marcello Giordani and Justino Diaz with Stephen uh, Mercurio as the conductor at the Michigan Opera Theater. And, of course, La Clemenza di Tito, which was, like, magical for me with Federica von Stada, Ben Hefner, and Susan Graham with Maestro Ronicles in the Pit at the San Francisco Opera. Um, I learned a great deal about tradition when I did Aida with Cheryl Mills and Lando Bartolini uh, at the Pittsburgh Opera, as well as when I did Aida at the Deutsche Oper Berlin with Simon Estes. And I think that the Semper Opera production of Salome that I did was very special to me because it was the 100th anniversary of Strauss in that house. And I was the only African-American that was there. And I think mm. for me, and I think for me to to sing a coveted role like Salome in German, in a German house with you know top level singers. I mean, Debbie Voigt was there, and I think that she was doing um, Frau Unschatten, and there were a few others that that had come in to to do some of the big big Strauss pieces. And for me to be there, I thought, wow. I can't believe this. This is incredible. I can't believe I was even asked to do this. But it was a very memorable moment for that and also for the fact that it was extremely avant-garde. So, yeah, it's those productions that really stand out in my mind. Amazing. Now, since you mentioned Porgy and Beth, I want to treat the listeners to you singing I Love You, Porgy. So I'm going to take a short break and treat you all. This is soprano Marquita Lister. Oh, 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 you know what? I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I I really have to say this, and that is that I'd be remiss in mentioning John DeMaine, who taught me the role of Beth. He taught that role to me. Okay? And also Willie Waters, who really who helped me to learn the role of Salome. I would never have done that had he not helped me. So I feel like I oh. had to give a little bit of a shout out to them <laughs> because they've been <laughs> they've been very very crucial. No, they were very crucial in the in my career, for sure. Just in case you all didn't hear those names because I was still talking, John DeMaine and Willie Waters, Ms. Lister gave recognition to those two exceptional musicians for helping her to, to learn uh, those particular roles. Now, here is I Love You, Porgy, from Porgy and Beth, 
sung by soprano Marquita Lister. Wonderful. That was soprano Marquita Lister. Do you recall who was the bass in the recording? Abby Powell. Oh, the alum of Virginia State University, my alma mater. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get that shout out. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Just as we close the interview out, I just want to say, Marquita, thank you so much for joining us on the Opera Diva series. Your story has touched so many, and I just hope that it's an inspiration to all who has been under the sound of your voice this afternoon. Oh, thank you so much, Patrick, for inviting me. I appreciate so much being able to tell my story, and I I hope that my experience in me talking about it has helped someone out there who may not feel exactly confident or think that there's no hope on the horizon or that, you know, dreams don't come true. I'm here to tell you that if you hang in there long enough, that something very special will happen for you. I believe that there are things there in life that happen no matter what because it's for you. If you continue to believe in yourself and believe that there is a power out there, I think that you will find that everything's going to be just fine. Just fine. Just as we we close, I want to end with this. If a young soprano or a young tenor or a bass came to you and said, Miss Lister, I want to be an opera singer, what would you say to them? I would say to them the thing that Langston Hughes says, and that is without a without a dream, it's like a broken winged bird that can't fly. And what I mean by that is it's okay to dream. And I would tell them to work very hard. 
I would tell them to perfect their craft. I would tell them to study their languages. I would tell them to learn their music accurately. I would tell them to definitely understand what they're singing about, who it is that they're portraying, because a big part of opera or any other performing arts, um, such as drama or musical theater, is all about communication. And people want to be moved. They want to be moved. People go to the theater to go on an emotional journey with you. So it's important that you can convey what it is that is being said in the text. The text is very, very important. So I would tell them to do that. And lastly, I would tell them to understand that the road is not easy. There are a lot of singers out there. There aren't as many opera houses as there used to be. But that does not necessarily mean that you will not get an opportunity. If the door closes, maybe the window will open. I've started my career on jump-ins. That is how I began my career, pretty much. I, you know, I was doing some things at San Francisco Opera and some other things regionally. And then when I made the big jump to go to Germany, I got a performance here, I got a performance there, but then people started calling me at the last minute, can you be in Stuttgart tomorrow? Can you come today and do blah, blah, blah here? And can you do this, that there? I started jumping in. And as I started jumping in and making that work for me, then my name got out there that I was consistent and I was trustworthy and that I could do it. No matter what the pressure was, I could do it. Now, inside, I'm a nervous wreck, of course. But I used an absolute nervous record. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I don't even know what the other performers look like. There's tape on the floor. What does the set look like? What I mean, what? But you have to batten down the hatches and turn that nervous energy into something positive. Because if you are secure in all the other aspects of your preparation, meaning that you know you can sing it, you know that you understand what the piece is about. You know you understand the characterization. You know that you can pronounce every word. You know it musically. You know what your colleagues are going to be talking about. You know what your colleagues are going to be singing so it doesn't take you by surprise. Then it's a win-win situation. It's absolutely a win-win situation. As long as you don't put too much pressure on yourself. And if it doesn't go as well as you want it to, ha-ha, this is the hard part. You have to learn how to forgive yourself. Mm. You have to be able to say, it was not a good performance this night, okay? It wasn't good. I acknowledged it. I've got to let it go so that I don't get that monkey on my back. Because if I drag that monkey around, I'm going to drag it into the next performance. And the mm. next performance won't be good because I'm still thinking about the last performance. <clears throat> and guess what? The thing that you did in the last performance that didn't make the last performance good is the same thing you're going to do in this performance. It's not going to make this performance be good. <laughs> so you have to let it go. You have to forgive yourself. And so often we're so hard on it. Oh, the A flat was flat. Oh, it wasn't pear-shaped toned. Oh, it was strident. Oh, I was flat. So what? You're human. These things happen. They have happened to the greatest stars in opera history. No one has a perfect night every night. No one does. You get Marquee, cold. I may have to get. 
Huh? I may have to give you your ordination papers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I just think that we put too much pressure on ourselves. We listen to a CD and we think, oh, I want to sound like that. Well, you know what? You can if you go into a, a recording studio. They have buttons mm. and knobs that can fix it for you if it's not exactly right. Or you go home, you rest, and you come back, and you record it, and you record it, and you record it again. I know because I've made recordings. Unless it's a live recording. That's a little different situation. But in live performance, when you are all cranked up and tanked up and in makeup, in your costume, then you've got so many variables to deal with. Your colleagues, the orchestra, the conductor, the director, how you're feeling that night, and negotiating your way through it. And if you're blessed enough to have a career where you're going from place to place, I mean, there were times I was Aida one night, have a night off, Salome the next night, have two nights off, best for the next four or five nights, then have to come back and try to do some kind of a recital with my chords all stretched out and me singing these throaty because of the role that I was doing at the time. And now all of a sudden I have to be precious and pristine. Guess what? It ain't going to happen. So it means <laughs> that I have to then try to find a way to settle myself down and say, okay, we're going to do it this way. We're going to do it that way. You have to become smart. You have to think your way through it navigate your way through it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. There's nothing you can do about it except do the best you can. Do the best you can. And if your best isn't good enough, well, that's too bad for those other people because you gave your best. You gave your, you gave best. your best. Well, it you has know? certainly been an honor. It has certainly been an honor having you on today. We've been speaking with internationally acclaimed soprano, Marquita Lister. Marquita is a native of Washington, D.C., and I'm so honored to be able to, to see Marquita interact her, uh, interact with her excuse me, uh, within the realm of the National Association of Negro Musicians. And I'm just so honored to have this opportunity, and I'm so thankful that you spoke to our audience today. Well, thank you, Patrick, for having me. I say to everyone out there, have a blessed and wonderful holiday season. And, Patrick, I hope to see you soon. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much, Marquita. You have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Again, we have been listening to international acclaimed soprano Marquita Lister, who was the 2011 Victory Award recipient on last week in Washington, D.C. What a powerful story she has shared with us today. Again, I am Patrick D. McCoy the African-American voice in classical music. I would encourage you to look and learn more about Ms. Lister by going to www.marquitalister.com, www.marquita, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T-A-L-I-S-T-E-R.com, www.marquitalister.com, where you can find her website and find out more in depth about her and her illustrious career. Also, I would like to encourage you as you remember, our last episode, we talked to Dr. Owen Burdick, and I do hope that you will be able to support their performance at the Church of the Ascension and St. Agnes of Handel's Messiah. That is December the 18th at 4 o'clock p.m. Also, as I promised, I did publish a complete 
uplifting of Handel's Messiahs across the Washington, D.C. area. And if there, and if there are any other special uh, performances of the Messiah nationally, you can email those to me at the African American Voice at gmail.com. And so, again, I would like for you to uh, visit my page, the D.C. Performing Arts examiner on Facebook. You can also like me, Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music on Facebook. You may also follow me on Twitter at Patrick D. McCoy. Again, I am Patrick D. McCoy, the host of the African-American voice in classical music, the Opera Diva series. We have been listening to Marquita Lifter Soprano, and I do wish you a great day. Let's leave out on this note. I do have a wonderful clip of Ms. Lister singing a scene from Aida. Have a wonderful day. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a miscorrection. We're going to close out and replay the I Love You Porgy. Have a great day. This has been Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.